is the clap. We did it. We did it. So, Sonny, welcome. First of all, welcome. Big accomplishment. You have the clap. Well, yeah, we got to start. And then, well, I, I, I don't have a... We, we always tell people how the sausage is made, I guess, if you will, right? And then we always talk about her wardrobe. This is very fancy. What's I going wore, on here? I wore my big earrings as a special occasion, Sonny. You look the, great. The big fancy earrings for because you're a special guest. Oh, thanks. We have noticed on this podcast that I, I have said I love you to her way more times than she's ever said it to me. Mm-hmm. And then I always compliment her and she never compliments me. And I think I look very nice today. Well, you know what? Actually, Sonny, he usually wears a muscle shirt. So you got sleeves. Mm. This is like a, this more than my big earrings. Well, this is a very special occasion. He you was, actually got sleeves. He was coming with his wife. So I didn't want to make it a thing and her uncomfortable with my massive, I mean, this beautiful. Is like, this is like funeral attire for you. <laughs> yes? Yeah, yeah, yeah pretty okay. much. I am dressed up. But, but, so, but so, well, let's introduce Sonny. Yes. Go ahead. I'll yes. let you do that. Um, Sonny, we're so excited to have you here today. Sonny has a killer food show on YouTube. Please tell I'm, everyone where they can find it. Right can, off the top. Can I be honest though? I'm a little nervous. And and, and when you guys reached out to me, I was like, what? I kept telling everybody, like, why does this guy want to be like a, a, you're a star? And, you're the and, best ever food review show. And I'm like, why did I, is what's going on? And you know, Tom Segura must have said no, and Joe Rogan must have said no. <laughs> That's what she wanted to know. How many comics said no before you ended we up on We worked our, our way podcast? down quite a bit, and then, <laughs> look, finally we're here. Yeah, that's my point. Yeah. We ended up with me, but... Thanks for saying yes. <laughs> so I have to say, first, first of all, when it comes to your show, and, and forgive me for this, but I didn't realize I was a fan. And, and, and what I mean by that is, I've seen you a million times. Mm. But if I'm being honest... It's never been the whole episode. Sure. It's Clips always a clip here, moments. Yeah. a moment here, a, a Which clip Which is like there. people with your stand-up, Steve. They've just seen a little bit on TikTok. Well, that, that's what's surprising to me is, is <laughs> I have fans that come to my show. They have no idea I have a whole hour special. Right. They'll just watch the clips. They think you're a TikToker. Yeah, they think I'm a TikToker, <laughs> right? right? Um, so, and then when, when, so then when you guys reached out and I saw your face, I'm like, I know that dude. I watch him all the time. Oh, that's, that's the best. That's a great compliment. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yes. And um, I think it's all about the accumulation of, of people seeing you in different places, different platforms over time. And uh, it amounts to something special. For you, it's like people showing up at the shows. For me, it's uh, having someone like you being aware peripherally, but not necessarily being like some hardcore subscriber. But, but can I also say that you know, and, and I'm sure you, 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 you can elaborate on this. Uh, comedians call me all the time and they go, bro, 13 million views. How did you do it? What do I do? And, and I don't mean to be offensive bots. to them, but I'm like, I'm good. Oh, okay. I thought it was bots. Yeah, well, no, it's not bots. It's yeah. not bots. Um, but, but I go, they go, well, we're, we're putting out clips too. And it's like, well, maybe my clips are good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, who's editing your clips? Uh, Rick, our producer. Okay, I thought there's no, no like sweatshop opera- operation in the. Oh no 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 no! Okay. We got we got Rick is our sweatshop. Okay. We, <laughs> right, yeah. one Rick man sweatshop. Wife. Yeah yeah. Um, but wouldn't you agree that that there is a lot of people trying to do stuff all the time, constantly? They're putting content out too. I'm not seeing it. Mm. I'm seeing yours. Yeah. Well, so it's not just about putting content out. Yes, it has to be uh, appealing. And so obviously what you're doing is working because it's appealing to a, a wide group of people, a wide swath of individuals uh, who then come to your shows. Right. And, and same thing with you. They, they end up subscribing, falling in love. And, and I got to say, I don't know who does your camera work. Your, your but images it is, are beautiful. 
Thank it's you. It's beautiful to watch. And Thank it's you. on the fly. So it's, it's harder than what we do because we're in a studio and it's constant. Like mm. you're on location moving around. Thank you. Well, so just to give a little bit of context, uh, I'm Sunny. The show is Best Ever Food Review Show. Yes. We're the most followed, most viewed travel food show on the internet or otherwise. And we have a, it's not just me. I'm, I'm obviously the face of it, but we have a team of about 20 people. It, it started with just me and a camera guy. That camera guy is still with me today. His name is Kai. But we have uh, an incredible team of shooters, two guys we bring on the road with us, and a whole team of people that make the show the show come together and happen. It's beautiful. I mean, Thank not, you so not, much. not only is it beautiful, it's interesting to watch. It's it's something that that you know for me, I go, okay, Sunny's coming on the show. I need to watch one episode. Mm -hmm. Motherfucker, it turned into okay. I got to watch this next episode. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm gonna watch this next episode. And then I wake up in the morning this morning and I go, Lori, put, put Sunny on. Uh, it, it, it is, it, it is, it's one of those addicting. We have a term things. for it in the office, digital cocaine. That's exactly what it is. And we're trying to, you know, even at some point we got rid of conclusions because it's like, you know what? The conclusion lets people down too softly and it brings them back to homeostasis. I don't want that. I want them to end at a high point and feel empty afterwards. <laughs> And, I want more. And then they yeah, want to watch yeah. another video and they're like, I want that feeling again. I want yeah. the music and the, right. uh, the fast paced cutting and hopefully some jokes here and there and, and just super interesting subject matter. All of it together should create some dopamine spike. I have, so I have to know, we started our podcast during COVID because Steve obviously could not go on the road mm. and I was going to kill him. And I was like, we, we have to do something like you, you can't sit around and mope. How did, what was the inspiration well, that, for yours? Well, let me jump in on that because when she says mope, well, no, for the first time in my life, Sonny, I, I was dealing with depression. Yeah. You know, and, and I would, I always had sympathy for people with depression. First time. I, had I, never, I feel like a seasoned veteran. <laughs> but so first time. Okay. I never dealt with it. And, and so this feeling of, I didn't want to get out of bed. I mean, just laying in bed, you know, and here I have this young kid and my beautiful wife and Renee would come to me and she'd go, this isn't you. And I go, I can't get out of it. Mm. And I ended up having a panic attack, which I thought was a heart attack. It was a panic attack. And I, I, I was freaking out. I was sweating, you know, and then finally she came up to me. So when she says mopey, she's being nice. She says, what are we going to do? And I said, well, what do you want to do? She says, well, let's put it out there. So then we just started doing it. Uh, and now when we don't do it, we miss it. Right. So go back to your question. Well, no, what started mm. what started the best ever food review show for you? Well, I guess my story starts even back in Minnesota. So I come from Minnesota, originally St. Cloud, Minnesota. I hear it a little. <laughs> Minnesota. Yeah, a little bit. I, I feel like I'm pretty non-regional now, but I, I grew up essentially white trash, one of six, poor family. One of six and I'm the Mexican? <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's when you know you come from a poor family and they just keep having kids hoping that one of these motherfuckers is going to make it. Yeah, right. That is their IRA. That was, the, that, was, that was the math. I think I don't know if my mom was doing the math at that time, but it did work out. So, uh, you know, I graduated high school, attempt to go to university, fail three times. And I, I just am directionless, aimless, uh, skillless. I've got nothing going for me. And so at the age of I love this. She's, your wife's over there going, yes, yes to all of All this checks out. Skillless. She can corroborate Happy everything. Yes. And so at age 24, I moved to Korea. And I, I wanted to do something different. I wanted to travel the world. And, and so the show that exists today couldn't exist without me having lived abroad for so long because I would have made a, a much less sensitive show 
a, a much less worldly show. It would have been a little bit more, I guess, judgmental because I, I really had to live among a different culture and a culture vastly different than what we have here in the USA to be able to empathize and understand how people differ and how that's okay. And, and so that's what happened in Korea. I lived in Korea for eight years. Um, eventually, I moved to Vietnam. I've been in Vietnam about seven years. That's oh, where... okay. Now, that, first of all, going to Korea is a huge jump. Yeah. Why Vietnam? So in Korea, I started out as a teacher. I started out teaching English. Uh, you can do uh, yeah. English tutoring there. You can teach at schools. They're like, you speak English. Yes. Well, and I know because you might be wondering, how did you fail out of university three times and now you're teaching students? Good question. Well, there they really value conversational English. And so people are dying to speak with people who are native English speakers and do one-on-one -on -one tutoring so they can practice conversationally. And you might think, well, are you equipped? Are you credentialed to teach that kind of thing? And then you sit down to talk with somebody and they go, oh, today I go to store. And you're like, oh. I can correct this. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, this isn't like past participles or anything. It's like, no, today I went to the store and they're right. like, ah, oh, thanks. And in Korea, they have such an emphasis on grammar and the rules that they don't actually get enough time to practice and speak with other people. So I started by teaching English. Slowly, I transitioned into filmmaking. And so actually, my background is in directing, videography, audio, um, editing, all these things. And the last thing I did was to get in front of the camera. And so... Slowly, I transitioned from teaching to making videos, and eventually, I was able to support myself full time making videos in Korea. Um, at for, some, for others, where you work for hire, yeah. So, so for different clients, and so I, I mean, I did stuff for Red Bull when Red Bull came to Korea. Um, it's cool because I got to do a lot of stuff I wouldn't be able to do if I was in the USA because I, I was still really new at, at my craft, and I was getting practice and, and getting reps. But there's no way I could have worked for a Red Bull event in the USA, but I could do that in Korea. And eventually, you know, I did corporate videos. I did some music videos. I did a, a music video for this guy named in Korea. Rap Monster in, in the band BTS, which is like a blown up big yeah, K-pop yeah, yeah, band yeah. now. Wait, you know? Yes, I know BTS. Okay, so I'm if you cool. know. I'm cool like that. I know BTS. Then they're huge. Yeah. I listen to the same eight songs. Yeah. <laughs> right. Over and over. I know. Yeah. Um, and, and so... Yeah, so I was doing client work and at, at some point, so then why did I make the show? Um, I, it's like I'd gotten to this point doing client work. I really hated doing client work and I wanted to transition into making my own content. And uh, two people inspired me online at that time. I was watching H3H3, this uh, YouTube, oh, he used to do comedy. I'm not sure what yeah. he does now. He does a podcast or something. And another guy was, uh, his channel was called Jack Scap and he was a young UK lad who did really interesting travel content. And at that time, there was, really wasn't much travel content out there. And if there was, it was really dry. And it's like they were doing their best impression of what was already on Travel uh, Channel. Well, and it's already, it, 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 it's also network bullshit. Yeah. Right? The notes, the standards and practices, the, you know, you, it, it, that's what makes, number one, what you do and what we do so great now is that we don't need that shit. Yeah. There's, you just go do it. Well, And I, I did the whole process. I did a TV pilot for Travel Channel. And it didn't get picked up. And it's one of the best things that ever happened to me. But I'm isn't glad. That, I, isn't it great to go, fuck yeah. you. Look at my subscribers. <laughs> I fucking told you it would work, right? It's, it's what we do with, you know, when we produce all our own specials. Mm -hmm. Because I've never been offered a special from Netflix or Amazon or any of those guys. So we just did it ourselves. Literally bet on ourselves. Mm -hmm. and, and now it's like, we don't need you guys. 
I think what's missing from most people is the just accepting that that's possible because that, that idea feels Wrapping so daunting, right? That they just their default is I can't do that. You have to get there's like a studio guy or a producer guy, and they know the special people. It's like no anybody can do. But this would stuff. you say that that's a generational thing too for for people that are my age and you seem about my age that you know when when I was coming up as a young uh, kid. It was the comedian got on the Tonight Show, then they got a TV show deal, mm-hmm. then they got a sitcom, and all that went through the system. Yeah, right. Yeah. So when I was coming up, I'm like, that's what I want. I, I I need to get on the Tonight Show, and then I need to get a TV deal, and then I need to get a you know. Mm. So when it came to survival for us, when none of that shit was happening, we go, well, fuck, we better change gears, right? You know. So do you think it's a generational thing? I don't. It, partially, I do, but I think that you know every generation has a, a variety of personality types, and some people are more driven towards comfort and desiring certainty, and some people cannot stand the idea of working and being complacent at a job that they they know doesn't satisfy them. They they just they know they're not reaching their full potential, and so for you doing comedy, you knew that if you couldn't do it through or with other people that you were going to have to do it yourself. And then you became more resourceful and then you learned and you figured it out. And that was always a possibility in your head, or at least slowly it became a possibility. So was that the same feeling for you of? Yeah. And and uh, yes. And it's, it's not all at one time. You know, when I started, the show was completely different from what it's become now. And now we have almost 10 million subscribers and maybe 50 million people watching a week. I, I never thought we would have gotten to where we're at now. But I didn't start out thinking it was going to be like that. I just started out, you know, my only mantra in the beginning, because people ask me for advice here and there on social media, my only, and they say like, how do I get more people to watch my videos? And I said, yeah, it's a wrong question. Your question needs to be, how do I get better? And that's the only question. And my mantra was make better videos, make better videos, make better videos. And my thing is be a better stand up, be a better stand up, be a better stand up, put in the time to become a really good stand up so that when the videos you put out, they're quality. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't matter. I have stuff that goes viral that I shot with a cell phone mm-hmm. of my stand up. Right. So it's just, it, are you a good stand up? Are you producing, are you getting better? Right. Yeah. And then, so people focus on stuff like, do I have the right camera, the, the right gear, the right editing? And uh, it, it's just about the product at the end of the day. Is, is the product a good product? I have my main channel, but my uh, second channel has nearly the same amount of views. I just shoot it on an iPhone. Insane. And, uh, and I have like a, a little mic too, a little lapel mic for audio, but um, it's so nothing how, special. So how did it grow? So it was you, with your camera, <clears throat> by yourself, and then you talk about your loyalty to this, this original camera guy. When does he come into play? So I was in Korea. I had started the channel in Korea. And even at early, early on, I got this whole uh, opportunity to do a TV pilot, which... It's a separate story. We can talk about that. We can complain about TV if you want. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> complain about the man. Yeah. Um, but I traveled to Vietnam just to go shoot there. I had about eight days off. I brought a, a different camera guy, a friend of mine, because I never really liked filming myself. I always liked people filming me. It felt more natural. Right. Like I could even, you know, we all have that maybe starting out that um, imposter syndrome where you, and I definitely had it when I started out, but I felt it felt more appropriate when there was a camera guy there pointing the camera at me. Then I could just be in a busy market or a crowd and it just 
seemed like it made sense. There was like, a reason to perform. That guy must be, he's, he's supposed to be saying that stuff. That guy's pointing a camera at him. Yeah, somebody's he's got a camera on him. So he's, he's not just important. walking around with a phone like, hey guys, check it out. <laughs> Who's that douchebag? <laughs> I know. And everyone's- Why is he wearing a bandana? <laughs> can I tell you something? Can I tell you something dark is everyone goes like, no one cares. Go outside, record yourself, do what you want. No one cares. And in my, in the back of my head, I just go, I care. I care and I care if I saw you doing and that. And I'm somebody. I would like, judge the shit. A thousand percent. Out of you. I would judge you so harshly. And then that makes me harder. It makes it harder for me to do it because I go, well, I know I'm a judgmental bastard. Right. So I'm going to judge those people. So they must be judging me. So um, I have the guy. We go to Vietnam. We take this trip. And while I'm there, I meet a company who says, hey, we're a tour company. If you come here, uh, if you move to Vietnam, make a video for us about once a week, we will give you. Now, at first, my buddy, I met my buddy Andrew there, uh, who, who went on to be a good friend of mine. We did the Mongolia series together. He's from Australia. He worked with this company as well. He goes, I think I can get you 500 bucks a month. And you're like, fucking A. I'm, no, I mean, that, that sucks. No. Oh. Yeah. No. Now you live off of 500, 500 bucks a month. month. <laughs> right. No, that's awful. Um, and so I got it up to a whopping $1,000 a month and played hardball. In addition, they gave me a place to sleep and they provided me uh, with a camera guy. So somebody who was already taking photos for the company, they're like, he'll double for your little food videos. And so that's how, not how it started, but kind of how it continued. Me moving to Vietnam was like burning the boats. It was me committing my life to making this thing happen. And did it happen quickly? Absolutely not. And, and there was times in my, in my journey you know, I've been doing it for maybe a year and not getting results, posting videos, getting maybe 2000 views on a video. And that same dude, Andrew, we'd work out in the gym together and I would, you know, confess to him, uh, like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, What's uh, happening? We're, I'm what posting we videos. I'm not getting the results. And he would just gave me this great inspirational speech. Like, eh, what are you doing? Just keep going. <laughs> I was like, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, fair enough. Cause I, I moved to Vietnam. So what right. else am I going to do? Not committed. You're there. They're giving you a thousand a month. Yeah. You're making the videos. You go, ah, well, fuck it. We're, we're going that in the right direction, I guess. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so it wasn't always the right direction. Like it would sometimes it, there were videos that would get a lot of views and then it would be kind of dormant for a while, but I, I stuck to it because there was nothing else to do. It's like, this is, this is the plan. The plan See, is to make this work. Steve always talks about that. He's like, you know, cause there were times he had to sleep in his car and he says that he thinks part of the reason he's successful is cause there was no plan B. Like he yes. had to make it work. This was it for me. And, and, and that, and, 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 and we, we, we laugh to this day. My road manager, like your camera guy has been with me forever. Right. And, and we've been friends for 20 years and, and we laugh because I go, man, I was doing this shit for free. Mm -hmm. I was happy to do it for free. I love being a stand up comedian. The fact that people pay to me is a blessing and I treat, I treat them that way, right? I treat right. them as you guys are my employer. Mm -hmm. I pay all these bills because you care enough to pay to see me when I would have done this for free yeah. and I would do it for free, yeah. right? So yes, there is no plan B. Yeah. And I think that, of course, you still have to be able to, to pivot. There's plenty of people. It's tough because like Gary Vee talks about this. Because he was always like, go for it, go for it, never give up, go for it. But some people aren't destined to pursue whatever they're going after. And then I remember Gary Vee bringing up a, a second point, which was um, having awareness. And I think what he realized after shaking hands with thousands of people is a handful of people are delusional, handful of people, bigger handful are just not on the right track. And so you have to, along the way, have the ability to pivot 
and recognize, um, you know, even within my own show, I, I adjusted a lot. I made better thumbnails, better topics. In the beginning, it was way too much like goofball comedy and not enough, um, not being deferential enough to the culture, not being respectful enough and finding that balance as I went forward. Um, and, and so we, I, I made my own pivots along the way to get well, to the well, show to and, where it and, is now. And, I, and that's one thing I was actually going to bring up later on was I love the compassion you have. I love there, there's a there's something about you that doesn't seem judgmental, that doesn't seem, ugh. Right. You know, it, it's a very teach me, I'm happy to be here vibe that to me comes across as it, it's not judgmental. It's not, there, there's just something peaceful about it. I, I don't know if that's the Thank word, you. Right? Thank you. And, and once in a while, you know, a handful of people, very few people have been judgmental and saying that I seem sometimes too forward, too direct, joking around too much disrespectful, not, not most, a handful of people. And, but the real reason for that is because when I go there, I don't actually think I'm better than these people. And that's all there is to it. Maybe it's the, the humble way I grew up. Maybe it's that I've been fortunate enough to live abroad for so long that I have a different perspective. That's not just strictly the American perspective, but you know, I, I feel like I could hang out with villagers in the middle of Tanzania make jokes with them and I can go to the Faroe Islands. Like the, You are going to some remote places. The whitest place on earth right. and I can get along with those people and I can go everywhere in between and, and find something that we're going to have in common. And, and I always, yeah, I mean, I'm the same way. And, and I feel like I'm the most least judgmental person because I have made so many mistakes in my life and I have done so many stupid shit in my life mm. that, and I've been forgiven. So I don't judge other people for anything. I love humans. I love people. And, and you can see that in yourself too, is you have this interest in, in human nature. Well, and to put a finer point on it, I see the value in their lifestyle. Like, so going back to Tanzania, we hung out with this tribe. It was on the TV as I came in, yeah. the, the Datoga tribe. And somebody with no perspective or who maybe just came from the US or they're used to eating vegan food in California, they might be disgusted. They might be judgmental. But for me, I, I see like, okay, you're, you live in the countryside. You have an, an incredible view. You're looking at Mount Kilimanjaro every morning and evening as the sun sets. You have whole foods, healthier foods, than a lot of folks here are eating. You have a sense of community, very tight-knit community of people who, uh, you know, you're not living alone. Uh, you, you're not working at a call center and then going home to your apartment alone. You know, the USA has some of the most, not to get too serious, but insane suicide rates of any yep. country in the world. And so... I go to this tribe in Africa and I look at them and I'm like, there's a lot to be desired for the lifestyle here. So, and, so and, that was my big question. Th that was the big, and I know you have other questions, but, <laughs> but we're leading into my shit. Okay. My big question was, was when you see these cultures and you see the way that they live versus the way we live, the, the, the level of happiness, right? Um, mentally, cause you're there, right? You're there, you're living with them. You're, you're filming, you're, how are they compared to other cultures, right? That's my big question is, is are they just as happy as us, if not happier? I would say, it, yeah, it's weird. It's like this inverse thing where, um, I mean, just going to suicide rate as a metric, some of the most modern places in the world, technologically advanced, uh, would be like Japan and Korea, East Asia. And they also have some of the highest suicide rates in the world. And then there's this inverse relationship to where you go to places like uh, Bhutan, 
which is known to be the happiest country in the world. It's uh, in part of South Asia and not rich by any means, but a very happy place. And, and many places I've gone, whether it's Vietnam where I live or, or places in Africa, there's just a, a different sense of lightheartedness, of happiness, of people not like certainly they have issues. Okay, let me give you one example. So we went to Nigeria, difficult place to get into, a difficult place to shoot, but that's why I liked it. I don't want to be competing with a bunch of people for content. Right. I know not a lot of YouTubers are going to be doing like their next prank video series in Nigeria. <laughs> There's not bottle flipping in Nigeria? No, right. <laughs> or, yeah, or playing or doing the, it's just a prank bro or anything right, right, like that. Yeah. All right, so we go to this place called Makoko and this is a floating slum essentially. It, it's um, 200,000 people living over the water and the water is sometimes it's, there's a flow. Sometimes there's not the garbage from the city flows oh. through their village. They are, they defecate into the water. They use the water to clean themselves. And again, sometimes it's moving more than other times. And so this is a place with real issues in the world. Like re you get real perspective about right, what right. an actual clean water problem is pretty important. What's that? I said clean water is pretty important. Right. So, you, yes, you get some real perspective about what a real problem looks like compared to some of the problems that we face here. Right. And people, I just saw so many happy kids and people would fashion uh, a soccer ball out of old clothes and just like tie it together and they'd play soccer or they would jump from boat to boat. And so many people were smiling. And it's not that there isn't struggle. I don't want to paint this picture like. It's, it's paradise there, right. it's heaven there. It's like, you know, in spite of the challenges in this struggle, you see State people, you largely see people um, seem, seeming positive, as positive as they can be. With, with very little. Absolutely. We, I mean, we talk about that all the time. You know, it's, it's you, you, one of our goals was always, we always made our budget in a way that we could travel together, mm -hmm. right? So, if we were living in LA, you know, when we were looking for an apartment, it was, I'd rather have a smaller apartment and less things so that we can be together because our relationship's not going to make it mm -hmm. if I'm on the road all the time and she doesn't get to come. Yeah. So we always set that in our budget as a goal as to, you know, can I go buy a nicer car? Can I go get a bigger apartment? I can, but that means that now we can't travel together to see this country that I get to go perform in front yep. of. So then when we had our kids... It was the same thing. It was, we are not going to live in a way that keeps us from traveling as a family. And now, mm -hmm. of course, it's me, it's her, it's my daughter, it's my son. So um, you all go on the road together? As much as possible. Yeah. One so, to two times a month. I mean, he's traveling wow. every weekend. But okay. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you know, obviously she picks and chooses where she wants to go. I mean, oh, you know, yeah. I mean, I, we're not going to Nigeria, but <laughs> I know. But no, but if I'm, I'm going, you know, if I'm going to Dayton, Ohio, for example, no offense to uh, Dayton, but we, I love Dayton. She has no interest in taking the kids <laughs> to Dayton, Ohio, so we can be stuck in a hotel, right? So, what do you love about Dayton? I, I love, man. I love people ask me all the time, "Where's your favorite place to perform?" And I go on stage. Okay. It doesn't matter if I'm in Ohio. If I'm on stage and the people there are enjoying what I'm doing, that's my favorite place to be. Oh, that's a good recovery. I tried to corner you there. <laughs> yeah, I know. But very like politician-like answer. But, but it's, it, it's the truth. I mean, I love being on stage. And, and I don't, I'm, I'm a pleaser. I love making people happy. I'm a giver. Uh, I, I feel more comfortable giving than receiving. I'm just a giver. So when I'm on that stage... And those hardworking people that work all week, that sit in traffic, that get to come to my show, 
man, my main goal is, can I make these people happy for an hour? Mm -hmm. Can they enjoy the show? So if I'm in Dayton or if I'm in Palm Beach or if I'm in Florida, if I'm in California, it doesn't matter. If I'm on stage making people happy, happiest place. Now, don't get me wrong. Afterwards, when I'm sitting in a shitty hotel, miserable, you know, I'd much rather be in San Diego yeah, right. on Mission Beach than, right. than some shopping mall, uh, mall uh, hotel, right? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, I love to perform. And when we can bring the family together, because we, and, and that, this is going to lead into your question, yeah. you know, we love each other and, and we want our relationship to, to grow and to continue. And if we're always doing things apart, it, it's not going to happen. Right. Yeah, I said, I want to know, is Sonny married and who's helping him behind the camera? Because we work together a lot. So, yes, I'm married. My wife is Vietnamese. We, I don't put her on camera. I don't put her in photos. I don't tag her. I, I think the internet can be a wildly cruel place. Yeah. And it's just certain things I want to keep private. The right. show, And to be fair, the show is not really even about me. The show is about people. It's about food. It's about cultures. And I'm kind of a vehicle or a vessel through which people can experience that. But... Um, yes, I do have a wife and she's behind me slightly off camera. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. she, I know she travels with you. Yeah. Does and, that happen often? That, that was, you know, it's interesting because that was a recent change. So she's Vietnamese. We met in Vietnam and she, you know, she's, we're, we're different in many ways. I failed university many times. She has her master's. That's us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't have my master's. No college, yeah. NYU. Well, and, and so she... Um, she worked at, she had a good job at a bank. She'd worked there for like seven years. And then the pandemic stuff started getting really bad in Vietnam. Now it was really good for like the first year when stuff was melting down here and people were going nuts here. Then we, we had about a year where people weren't even wearing masks because they locked the borders early and they were, did, um, insane testing and they did short lockdowns, you know, lockdowns can work if it's like super early on right and it's like a tiny fraction of the people well i told you i think texas did it too soon oh yeah you know texas was like oh shut it down right now california's going nuts Mm. and then they go you know what nothing's happening oh right y'all go back out there well now it's coming right yeah Yeah. and maybe it was unavoidable in the u.s and there's just so much movement in the u.s when you look at one of those pictures of flights around the world it's like the u.s is just pure red full of like we just fly like crazy or travel like crazy. Right. And so basically I, I was thinking we can't shoot here anymore. They're about to shut everything down. We're going to have to leave the country. And she sacrificed her job to, to join me on the road. And to me, it's for me, at least it's one of the best things that's ever happened because before that she just worked in a normal kind of corporate job where she got two weeks off a year. And even though I was traveling the world constantly, we would do like one or two trips a year, short trips, and then back to work. And right. then now we get to see everything together. So, well, so, so we went through that, you know, where, you know, my wife here is, is very intelligent, very accomplished, very, very well put together and smart. And it was her having to make that decision of, do I give up all my education and, and my, you know, my, my individuality to then join this team? When you talked mm-hmm. about seeing that you need to pivot. Did you guys Sometimes go through it's hard. that? You don't want to pivot, right? Did you guys go through that a little bit with your wife? Kind of like, hey, you, you're no longer this person that works at the bank. You are now yeah. part of this. So I think the most difficult part of that process, and and certainly more difficult for her than me, is figuring out, okay, what is my purpose now? And 
figuring out like, you know, so initially it's like, I have a job, I have a career, I'm going to try to develop and move forward and upward in that career. And now it's like, well, now I don't have a job. And, and once we got back, like once the borders finally opened in Vietnam, it was a little, there was a difficult period, um, reestablishing like, so are you, are you going to try to get a different job or are you, do you want to travel with me? And so I think that, that period was tough, but well, and, and I don't know how your wife operates, but, you know, Brene is a, a very good at, you give her a task and she can accomplish that task and it'll be perfect. It'll be great. And bringing her into my world and, and your world where things are constantly moving and adjusting and changing and schedule. It was a big, mm. uh, still adjusting for her after all these years of what do you mean things are changing? And we had a plan and why is the plan changing? And right. I'm, I made a fucking graph as to how this was supposed to go. And, right. it's, and it's not going that way. The so, graph. Yeah. She's got a fucking agenda and, you know, and I'm like, Hey, things are, you know, we did that, that podcast with, with Bill Goldberg, the wrestler. I literally came up with the idea and said, Hey, we're doing this badass Christmas thing. Let's do it. And she goes, it's eight days. We can't pull it off. And I'm mm. a, so then I have to then pull her out of her comfort zone and go, come get on fucking board. Right. Let's go. So do you guys feel that it's kind of the same for your relationship? You know, I think people call that like the reality distortion field. And they talked about that with Steve Jobs. And I don't want to compare myself to Steve Jobs, but I think part of being a visionary sounds so douchey, but being a leader, you know, being the person within a organization who has a vision, you have to constantly convince people that something that seems impossible is possible to do. And something that seems radically difficult or just plain not a good idea, you, you have to be the one who has so much conviction that those in your near orbit are like, it must be possible. He seems like pretty fucking sold that this is possible. <laughs> so it's gotta I'm be possible. Yeah. yeah. But but again, I always tell Renee, you know, we we when we decided, we said, All right, nobody's giving us a special, right? Nobody cares. I've got this 15 years under my belt of being a stand-up. I know I'm good because I see the people that watch me every day. Mm -hmm. we're doing this special Renee and she was like well who's gonna produce it I'm like I don't know but I'm gonna start kicking the ball down the field yeah and we got the venue and then Renee's like uh you just told that venue we're shooting a special here we don't have a production company I'm like well we're gonna find one right you know but I, I've noticed too that once you start kicking the ball down the field or pushing that train people mm -hmm. are all about getting on the train yeah nobody's on board with kicking the train off so I'm the and you are the let's fucking go yeah. It, and that's part of, you know, like I said, we have around 20 people working with us now. And I, I tell everybody when they sign on, we don't know exactly what your role is going to be. We know roughly what your role is going to be. <laughs> but but over time, we're going to we're going to figure it out. And so kicking the ball down the road, like chipping away, whatever expression you want to use, it just as long as you're moving forward, then you will build up to bigger and better. It's things. like when we hired Lori, our assistant, she was like, so what's my job? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> we don't know. Right. We have at this point, we, we'll figure it out. And we yeah. believe that you're smart enough to fucking figure it out. Right. So, but, but since we've talked about all of this, do you have any other questions? Cause I'm, I'm excited about food. You're excited about food. Okay. I know this has got to be the cliche question, but you Let's have to tell us the red bandana. Oh, I got to come up with a better, he's you know, a blood. I, I he's used a blood. to say, it's because I'm a blood. I used to say I have my ex-girlfriend's name tattooed on my forehead. <laughs> it's not that. Um, so I, I lived in Korea. I would travel to places, Philippines, going to Vietnam, places that are really, really, really hot and humid. Uh -huh. And uh, I sweat a lot. End of story. And you, didn't want, you didn't want to be well, that guy? He, he, well, Steve's always like, 
hawking up stuff out of his mouth. No, and his I, nose. So I, he always has a handkerchief. I, no, well, I am I am raised very dude, and my dad taught me that a man always has a pocket knife, always has a handkerchief, always has his keys, always has a bottle opener. And it's always prepared. So I didn't know if this and was like part of your man code, like Steve's handkerchief is part of his man code. Yeah, I like your man code involves that you always seem to be able to be able to kill someone or get uh, drunk. Or, those, oh yeah, yeah, two, yeah, those yeah, two yeah, things. Or yeah, yeah. both. I need to stab a guy, kill somebody, yeah. and open a beer bottle now. <laughs> yeah, no, it happens now. But um, I, I want to talk a little bit about food because you know, and, and your wife is from Vietnam as well. For me, growing up Mexican American. Mm-hmm. Eating tripas, eating tongue, eating brains, eating, um, we call them mollejas, which are glands. Mm. All that was so very normal to me. Right. Right? Like, it was just something we did. And my uncle would come over with the disc. You know, he'd light the disc up and he'd throw the three, and my family would be out there cleaning tripas. You know, and then I didn't realize until later on, they're like, oh, other people don't eat this shit. Right. Right? So, for me... Very normal. Mm -hmm. But if I go to somebody that's never had intestines, they go, what the fuck? What? Well, so that's the issue though, right? Because they don't say, oh, interesting. I'd like to try it. Like, how do they react? They usually go, what the fuck is that? I'm not eating that. that. Right. Right. Or, or the, it's like this weird point of pride in the USA to be like, oh, I would never have that. Right. Which I don't understand because that notion to me doesn't feel American. Like we are one of the most extreme countries in the world when it comes to extreme sports extreme ideas yes thoughts business entrepreneurship and then it comes when it comes down to like eating something other than a pork chop a steak or a chicken breast it's like oh no i would never do that well and it's the same feeling for me as a hunter in the u.s of these people that go you kill deer i go yeah but as long if you're not a vegan right you can't say you kill chickens you kill cows you you just don't want to see it or do it yeah, well, so this is something yeah. I run into a lot with my videos because we pretty much as often as we can, we show the dispatching of the animal. We show, um, and, and it's interesting because around the world, the way people dispatch animals can vary greatly. And from halal cooking, where they say a quick prayer, they say bismillah, and then they slice the throat and let it bleed out, to in Vietnam, I've been to a place where they sliced a goat's throat this way, vertically pulled out the vein, pinched it, made sure they had it in their hand, goat still alive and screaming, cut it, and then carefully drained every drop of blood into a bowl so they could eat it. And then I've also been in places like Tanzania where they'll take a sheep and then put their hand over its nose and mouth and suffocate it. So every culture has a a little bit different way of um, dispatching the animal, killing the animal, and they have a different reason for it. And so so it says something about the people, the way they do it. But my, my grandmother, for example, raised pigs, right? And what she would do is she'd feed the pig out of the fence and then the pig would put his head through the fence and then she would clamp the the fence on the pig and then with the back of an axe, she'd hit it on the head, right? Mm, and kill it. Right. And I would tell her, I'm like, I'm like Grandma, what? shoot it. <laughs> right. And then she would go, bullets are expensive. Yeah. So it was a necessity thing, mm. a financial thing, not a traditional thing, not a... But again, like you said, it's so interesting that, that there's so many different ways that people do things. We don't know why, well, right? It, and or so you learn why. You were talking right? about the, the people being offended by it, though. Right. What, what bothers me the most is people will be like, oh, you must get a lot of crap from vegans, from vegetarians. It's yeah. like, no. 
there's a weird cognitive dissonance among people who eat meat but get mad at me for showing animals dying for the purpose right. of consumption. And so that is something I don't understand. I think that's something new in our society. Where is, what, I mean, what last, do you think? The chicken just ends up in the grocery right, store? Like yes. that chicken died. Somebody killed it. Yes. And by the way, I always tell people, my deer that I go after are grass-fed, free-range, you know, mm. and, and going back to, you know, I have a friend from Honduras. He would always say, he goes, man, I'd come to the States. Within three weeks, I'd gain 15, 20 pounds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Within, he goes, I don't change my eating habits. I come here, I gain 15, 20 pounds. I go back to Honduras. I eat the same. And now I'm down 20 pounds. Yeah. Because it's all the, the shit. Processed gum. Right. right. And so people would rather, largely, a lot of people would rather have that than Kill see themselves. an animal get killed. Right. Um, so I, I don't want to, like for, for vegans, at least that's a consistent logic and point of view. It's like, I, I like animals or I don't want them to suffer or I think and I respect that. I think it's bad for the environment, right. whatever they think, at least it's consistent. But if you're somebody who eats meat and then you're against hunting, it just doesn't add up to me. It, it, well, and, and that's what's crazy to me. And I don't, this is probably the first time that I've mentioned that I am a hunter because same thing, I get attacked. Right. I mm -hmm. get people go, Oh my gosh, he hunts and I'm not going to follow him anymore. I'm like, do you eat meat or not? Yeah, and they probably do. Right. That's the weirdest part. You know, and not to mention, as a hunter, I never, ever want them to suffer. I always make sure that it's a, a clean kill, and if not, I make sure it's taken care of. I always pray over the animal and thank the animal. Mm. And it's always what we consume all year. Yeah. You know, and venison is much leaner than even turkey. Mm -hmm. You know, so it, it drives me crazy. But going back to culturally, so why do they pinch is there a reason behind it? Oh, so in Vietnam, again, so he, he sliced the throat vertically, pulled out the vein, pinched it, and then cut it and, bled it and then bled it out. And so he was just trying to retain every drop of blood because the blood will be cooked and put into soup or made into blood cubes or whatever. I like blood cubes. So there's some food I eat on the show where it's like, I'm willing to try it, um, but I'm not into it. What's the weirdest thing? Uh, there's a few on my list. People often ask the worst and so it's not relatable at all, but stingray liver is probably the worst thing I've ever had. Like just the taste to the palate? The taste is really, really bitter. And there's, so I've had that in Vietnam. In Northern Thailand, they like bile, right? So bile, they, they I think bile is usually like secreted into the small intestine. And then I think it helps to digest the food, something like that. It's very, very, very bitter. What it tastes like is if you've ever been very hungover, uh, to the point where you were dry heaving right. and uh -huh. all that was going into your mouth or out of you was pure stomach acid. Well, that's why when you that's said what bile tastes bile, like. Bile, I'm oh. like, is that safe to eat? I mean, obviously if they eat it, it must be. Apparently. And so, 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 so Lori goes, <laughs> Lori goes, Sonny's bringing something for you to eat. Mm. How do you feel about that, Steve? And I go, well, he's not going to kill me. <laughs> No. So, so whatever he brings, he's going to make sure that oh it's edible. Right? So he said he wasn't going to eat lunch. He was going to wait. And I said, okay. oh, no, no. I'm eating lunch before we film. But I told her, I go, you're going to throw up your lunch. I'm not, I'm not going to have anything to so, throw. Yeah, I brought something all the way from Vietnam. You can tell me when you're ready for it. Well, and, and you know, we were, we were at a friend's house um, who's Indian and bone marrow soup. Mm. I loved it. She wasn't into it. Mm -hmm. You know, and for me... The, the, the strong taste of it for me was, it was rich. It was delicious. And the, you know, they had the bread and, and she just, she just, I, I like, remember her I, looking at me like, what do I do? And yeah. I go, you, you 
you gotta eat it or tell them you don't like no, it. No, but know? even menudo, I like the broth of menudo, but I don't like the texture the of the intestines. But I'm yeah, like that with my brisket stomach. stomach. I don't oh, like right. the fat on my brisket. I'm a texture person. Yeah, I'm not judging the meaning food. Meaning that you don't like textures. Don't, if it's like <laughs> yeah. mushy or yeah. That so that's where gummy the, gummy textures. There's a blowjob joke there, but I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna say it. <laughs> I, I think going Asia must have the most insane diversity of textures of any place in the world, especially China and Vietnam too. Um, the, every you know if you eat if you go to a hot pot restaurant, have you ever had yes. hot pot? Yes. yes, we love it. So every most of the meats will end up tasting similar because it's all going in the same hot broth. But they all have a little bit different texture, whether you're eating stomach. I ate pig uterus the other day, um, unlaid chicken eggs. Chicken eggs are still in the chicken's body that haven't formed a shell yet. They're small, oh, interesting. small yellow, and round. Um, I mean, parts of the face, ears, eyes. Well, you can't really order eyes, but you can order testicles. All of it is just about just different textures from sure. like super chewy to gummy Every time to you soft. mention something, I feel my face like just making weird <laughs> So, was there a, a in the course of the show, was there a, oh, I get more clicks the more weird shit I eat? Or was that always part of the, the plan was, I really uh, want to taste cuisine from around the world? It's a good question. I, I, and I think that for me, so there's two things. One is if you go, you can easily go too far and then people are like, I'm not watching this shit. So, you can, you can take the topic or subject too far and then people will just tune out and not right. click. I'm not in, right. But for me, it was always about the story. And there's no, it's the easiest story to tell when it's something really strange because you're naturally inclined to ask, why are you eating this? And then that leads to some, some form of understanding. And, and so that's, that's why I liked it because just the right. story is built in already. Where if you're just going to a taco truck with normal ass top, it's just like beef, steak, chicken. It's like, okay, well, so what is the story? Like, did she go through some kind of a struggle? When you watch any food show on Netflix, they have to show their their why or their story isn't about the food being unusual. It's like, oh, this person went through all this adversity and then now they have this food truck and they're back and they're successful. Right. There's some kind of a journey. And and so to me, it's just the most fun, interesting journey is some food that you're like, wow. You, I, I, mean, I just had whale meat in the Faroe Islands. And so in the Faroe Islands, they it's very controversial. What kind of whale? It's called a pilot whale. And I can tell you how they get the meat. So it's controversial because people don't like seeing whales get killed, but it's a tradition that's existed there for hundreds and hundreds of years. And people just, they don't really have a leg to stand on, except for that they don't like the fact that the whales are dying because there's no way they could possibly drive the whales to extinction. They're one tiny group of islands in the middle of the Atlantic, and the whales are in the whole Atlantic. Right. And so... They don't go out fishing for them like these Japanese to mass produce research and, boats. Right, right. They, it, uh, how it works is if they spot a pod near the islands, they will use boats to drive the pod to the shore. Once they get near the shore, they'll start like banging stuff in the water, messing up their sonar, push them up even further. People on shore have already been alerted. I mean, people, it's called the Grint. Uh, actually, Grint just means whale. It's like Grint the Bop or something. I, I'm, I'm off on my what? pronunciation, but, but it means. It means like this is time to get the whale. It could happen zero times in a year. It could happen five times in a year. And imagine you're in your little corporate job giving your uh, Q4 reports. You get the phone call. Hey, the Grint is on and you're out of there. Like, so I got to roll, bro. Yeah, I'm yes. sorry. 
And so there's people on the beach already. They run out. They have a hook with a rope attached to it. They put it in the blowhole. They pull the whale up. And then from there, they have a device that they put on the spine kind of right where you imagine you, the back of your neck would be. And they try to sever the spine so the whale will die immediately. How many people does it take to pull in a whale? Maybe two, three, four. Yeah. Well, well what's so interesting to me is, is th th this has been a process of learning. Right, like yes. uh, generations ago, somebody said, "We're gonna get that fucking well." Yeah, and hey, this works. Let's do that next time. This works. Let's do that next time. Uh, the the idea of okay, put the hook in the the blowhole. I mean, that's what's so interesting to me culturally. Of like, y'all figured this shit out. And so when it comes to it being sensational or, or a strange or bizarre food, I mean, talk about a story being built in. It's like there's the history, there's a the controversy. There's this group called the Sea Shepherds who try to protest and try to stop it when they can. And what's so incredible about the people there is, are they going to stop? No, but they've made adjustments and they've listened to this feedback, even though it's not, it's not, it's just imagine someone shouting at you, screaming at you and you're like, okay, let me see what I can do about it. Because right. they used to put steel hooks into the blowholes and it would inevitably sometimes tear the whale would suffer more. And so they developed new technology that was more humane. So now they, it's almost like a rubber ball at the end of a hook that they put into the blowhole. They, and they used to slice down with like, a, like your pocket knife down to the spine, taking maybe and several minutes. It, right. And then now they have a new device where they can just kind of slap the knife down and pierce the spine. And so they're still doing the hunting, but they're trying to do it in the most humane way possible. So that is what drives me is, is the story of how, how do we get here? And why are people eating this food, whether it's bizarre or so not? So why were they eating the food? So the Faroe Islands, it's very difficult for growing crops, but it's super rich with seafood. And for them, I don't think they met, uh, made hundreds of years ago these great differentiations between dolphin, whale, they just ate tuna. You know, and they have like big tuna farms there. They catch, um, oh, what's the other type of fish? Oh, I forgot. Uh, but, uh, there's Salmon? They, they grow salmon there. Uh, or they farm salmon, there's a, a, a cod. Right. They, they catch thousands and thousands, maybe millions of cods a year. Um, nobody protests that. And so they're doing it because it's, it's what they've always done. Right. And, and when I, I tasted it and when I ate it, I was like, oh, you, you can't replace this. You can only take it away. It's not like, oh, replace that. Have chicken instead, have beef instead. Right. It's a completely different experience. It's a very unique. Is there a unique... celebration? Is there a... No. It's just, hey, there's a well here. It's going to provide yeah. us a lot of meat. Let's go get it. Yeah. And and again, they don't know how often it's going to happen. And so I went to one, just a normal family's home. And I checked out their freezer. And they're just pulling out packages. It's like, this is whale meat. They have the year. And they said, oh, the last time we got some meat, we got about 300, 400 pounds of meat. I mean, that, right. that's huge. Why. And these days, everything is imported because, I mean, they don't have avocados. They don't have bananas. It's a place with really kind of dreary weather and not a lot of land. So they've got sheep and they've got seafood and pretty much, and they've got potatoes. And that's pretty much what they eat. Wow. Well, and, and it's, you know, I, I'd actually do a joke in my, in my um, till death special where I, where I go, you know, people all the time, they go, Steve, you're Mexican American. They're Mexican. How come he was able to put together the deal and you could not? And I said, well the, well, the difference is the American part. <laughs> and then part of the joke is I go, there's a bunch of Mexican-American women here right now. Mm -hmm. None of them ate tamales for Christmas. Mm -hmm. That's also the sad part. 
right? Mm. Is that we lose these traditions and we lose, I mean, if you were to go to my sister and say, hey, mom passed away, can you make us tamales this Christmas? She would have no fucking clue. Right. And then as generations go by, we lose that those traditions, the way that things are made. You know, I, I don't I, I don't remember the last time my mom made a homemade tortilla mm. from scratch with lard, with, right? Right. Because things change. So to go back like you do and see these people that have been doing the same thing the same way. What you describe is happening everywhere. Um, traditions are being lost at an insane rate. And hopefully my show can serve as some kind of time capsule to some of these places. But um, we're in, it, we're still in a, in a, in a, in an age in a time where you can do a lot of interesting travel there, you have the conveniences of being able to uh, use GPS and YouTube and do research on the fly, especially most, most places around the world. And there's still enough to go see. There's still a lot to be seen around the world, but a lot of traditions are kind of melting away um, or eroding as right. the mainstream well, and, erodes and them. They're not exact. Right? What place is next changing. on your list? Where do you want to go? I was going to ask that next. I was going to ask, uh, can you give our audience a little bit of a sneak peek as to what the plan is coming forward? Yeah. So um, we have uh, our next trip planned out already. Well, actually, we're working on it. We're going to Mexico again. We went to Mexico City about a year and a half ago. So we're going to go to Merida. Yes, that? that's yeah. near where we got married. We got yeah. married in Campeche. Okay. Yeah. Good food? Oh. Yeah. Okay, good. And it's, and it's a really interesting uh, place because we were the only American tourists. Mm -hmm. Everybody else was European. They didn't want our American money. So they have a they have a influence to cater to the European right. versus the American. Yeah. So we were noticing that the cuisine was different than when we would go to Cancun or to Cabo or to, right? Mm. Because it's, I mean, we would, I'd have a hundred dollar bill and they'd be like, I don't want that. Right. <laughs> you don't have a euro? Yeah, you know. So it, it, it's it's a really cool area and and Mexico too, right? The influence of Spain. Uh, you know, I always tell people, people don't realize that Texas invented the flour tortilla mm -hmm. because the Spanish brought flour to them mm. and the Mexicans go, well, we're going to make tortillas with this. And that's where the the flour tortilla came from was the influence from Spain bringing flour, right? I, I didn't know that. So it's really cool that you go in there because we love it. And, you know, as a Mexican-American, trying to also continue with our culture and continue to hold on to things. And like you said, having that time capsule. Mm -hmm. What a beautiful thing that you get to go and you get to go, hey, here are the way that they do food and these are the things that they do. So what are the crazy things? Because I'm sure you've eaten everything Mexicans eat, I would assume. So, yeah. Brains. What, what, what are the crazy, crazy things that we're going to eat in Mexico? Is yeah. that your question? So we're going to do two countries back to back. And this is kind of what we've started in the last six months is we just shoot two back to back and then we have a longer break. So it's kind of like three weeks on, five weeks off. Um, we're doing Mexico and then we're doing Peru. We're still developing oh, wow. the Mexico one quite a bit in, in Peru. I know they have alpacas, which um, very cute. We'll find we'll out how find they out taste how good soon. They are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they, they have guinea pigs too, and they I, have these farms called hatcheries. So it's not even a farm; it's a it's a hatchery, and just I don't know. Imagine a big smelly pet store, but it's all wood and, and they shave straw. Them. They shave them, gut them, open them up, and cook them. Is that right? I'm the gonna find pigs? out. We're I'm gonna, gonna find out. out. So I know a little bit about it, but most of it I'm gonna find out on the ground. So. I've had guinea pig before. Actually, I tried guinea pig for the first time recently in India, and uh, that was pretty good. 
I've, I've tried possum. Well, now I'm like, what did he bring you to taste? Yes. So <laughs> I'm ready to taste something, but I'm going to go to the restroom first. And then I'm also going to make sure we have that. <laughs> go to the restroom. <laughs> well, I got to pee, but oh, okay. I also have a trash can that I had Lori put in here. Okay. So we'll take a break. We'll, we'll get your, um, well, you get it ready and then I'll be, I'll be right back. I'll be right Set back. up. Okay. Uh, all right. Will this part be cut out or do we have to fill time? Uh, we can cut it out or fill time, but uh, you know what? Open it up. Rick, I wanted you to have a chance to ask questions too. Let me, let me run out real quick. Okay. Rick, do you have a question for Mr. Yeah, Sonny? Um, sure. How have you seen kind of food culture change over your period of doing all this? Oh, so that's a tough question to answer because- How long have you been doing the show? I've been doing it for maybe six, seven years, but- okay. Um, I keep going to different places, so it would be easier to answer if I was going, you know, covering food culture in one place over time, but it's a little say, uh, difficult to say how things have changed just in the time I've been doing it. I, I know like one of the biggest trends I see as I travel around the world is just um, making food has become cheaper and making even textiles has become cheaper. I mean, back in the day, people had, you know, a few shirts and a few pants. Now you could go to a village in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of a jungle, and people will be wearing Nike and soccer jerseys and stuff like that. Um, likewise, in, in Africa, there used to be a lot more issues around hunger, but now they have, they've really um, have figured out corn and corn flour. That, that is like the main source of nutrition, uh, I should say, of, of calories throughout many parts of Africa. And so... People have figured out how to farm it more effectively, I guess how to create strains that are more um, resistant. And you, you see that creeping into the diet more and more in places. And it's so much so that now in some places in Africa, you'll see a lot more overweight people and obesity because people are just throwing down a lot of this corn the flour that they mix with flour. water. And then they, it's called ugali. In, well, in some places, like in Tanzania, they would call it ugali. So that's a trend over time maybe over the last 50 years, not in the last seven. Well, you see the Indian women that eat the mm. dough because they want to be fat. No. Have you heard of that? No. Well, so to, to be to be safe. I was going to say, is he saying that correctly? India is a huge country. <laughs> 1.3. Yeah, there's a lot of different parts of India. A billion right? people. And then they, they do have vastly different cultures. And I, I certainly believe something like that exists yeah. somewhere in India. But I, well, not, I, I've not heard of it. Just to be fair... I'm the one that watches stuff that teaches me things, mm -hmm. and Renee watches Real Housewives. <laughs> well, you can That's learn like stuff from that. It's like my mind-numbing entertainment. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, so okay, we're going to eat something special. Yeah. We, I, don't, I don't even know if we call it special. Is it special? Is it weird? Is it's it... super special. I'm going to introduce it in a second, but first, okay. I want you to guess what it is. So I brought this all the way from Vietnam. I'm not sure if you can eat it. We'll talk about it in a second. We're not sure if we can eat it. You. You. Oh. You in particular. Oh. Does that mean I have to eat it? It, it? it looks like a grub. Yeah, so it's basically, it's similar to a grub. This is called, do you have any guesses? No, none. Is it like so, so, a fruit that grows on a No, so here's my question. Mm -hmm. In Vietnam, is that how it's prepared? Like if somebody were to eat that, it, it, you brought it prepared. It's not like, hey, right. we can't eat this. Well, so this is the reason I brought this particular food. So this is called a queen termite. And so um, I'm sure you've heard of termites that eat houses. There's sure. also termites in the dirt, and that's what this kind would be. And so it's rare because among each colony of termites, there can only be one queen. It's like 
almost the size of my pinky. Oh, these, so, are, my... these are the small ones. This is. <laughs> I was trying to get bigger queens. ones. They're all queens. And so somebody, so this is from Vietnam. So south of Saigon, where I live, there's a place called the Mekong Delta. And uh, a delta is this vast interconnected web of streams and rivers. And uh, there, it, it's very, there's rich soil. It's nutritious. There's tons of different creatures, lizards and bats and fruit. And there are termites. And so people, and again, not everybody, but a handful of people. <laughs> Focus on what you're saying, Sonny, but all I can think about is that someone's gonna eat oh, that. But it's no, it's it's gonna be so good. So people, <laughs> a handful of people will eat this. It's usually dudes. When whenever there's something really weird in Vietnam, it's usually older dudes, and it usually has something to do with drinking. So that is the second ingredient right here: the rice wine. So this is being preserved in a rice wine. It's like the worm in the tequila. It, well, people it's, have that wrong. It's, it's actually mezcal. Okay. People people think that there's a worm in tequila. It's actually a worm in mezcal. Then why do they put it in a lollipop? Because it's mezcal. Okay. Can I smell it? Yeah. Let me. Yep. That's good. I want to make sure it's not off. That's uh, that's how it's supposed to smell. So I just. (laughs) That's how it's supposed to smell. Yeah. So oh, take a sip. That is homemade rice wine from Vietnam's Mekong Delta. It tastes like moonshine. Mm-hmm. It should. You want to take a sip? Oh, my Lord. It's just... It's, it, it's very good. It's not even warming yet. It, yeah. Oh, it doesn't smell bad. You guys have me worried. Yeah, so that's... I thought it I was, mean, like, going to smell, like, this is gnarly. The, the, this is the best part, is that the worms are preserved, and actually, the worms are partially... Like, their insides get filled up with the alcohol. The it's booze. like... It's not that it tastes bad. It's that it's like, it's, it's very like boozy. Yes. It's very like you alcohol. You can light it on fire. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. when you make a... feels warm going down. What? Is it called WAP or Jungle Juice? What's, I'm, not, I'm not sure what's okay to say anymore. Like yeah. in, in college, when you put a bunch of vodka and fruit <laughs> no, and, yeah. and Sprite. It's like Everclear. Yes. And, and then the strawberries fill up with vodka. It's like that, but with worms. So um, I think just, do you have a toothpick or we could just put our fingers in? Uh, oh, baby, uh, you just go for it. Well, I need or a, a fork. Do you have a fork? Okay, Laura, you mind grabbing us I'll a go, fork? I'll go get a fork. Okay. It's easier for me to get in and out. Edit point. Uh, yeah, Rick, what do you think, dude? Are you in or are you out? Um, well, my, my do, do I bite and chew? Yeah. Okay. I'll eat one with you. Yeah, I'll eat one. Uh, I, I think it's... <laughs> I am getting a little bit of anxiety of like, oh, I've never eaten that before. Um, however... Yeah, I, I, I always laugh like at... at um, well, the best part is that you've painted yourself into a corner talking about the Americans that won't try your brain tacos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And your, your menudo. And now, well, now but, you get... Yeah. But Sunny, I really thought about this because, you know, my son, for example, who's seven, I'm always telling him, at least try it. Mm-hmm. Right? You don't have to like it. You don't have to eat it again. But, you know, and, and I'm very proud. We're very proud that we have a kid that... That he does, he's into Thai food and he's into We went to a sushi hot pot place and, and he know. tried octopus. Oh, very nice. And he loved so it. So try not to try not to fork it, try to pick it up. Because ah, ah, you're going to pierce it and it's going to deflate like a balloon. So you want it to be nice and plump because right now it's full of booze. You want me to help you with the spoon? Yeah, get that out. I don't want to. Oh, 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 here, here. All right, I got so you. Right now, I got you. Give me the yeah, fork. They're fishing I, the I, worm I'll, I'll serve you, baby. out of the booze. <laughs> I'll serve you. I guess we just go one at a time. Yeah. All right. Do you want me to go first? I'll go first. All right. Yep. I'm not scared. 
There you okay. go. I, I, I want to make sure that we get a really good look at, at, at what we got here. Um, I don't even know what it, it's. I don't know yeah. what to, how do you explain it? What does it look like? Uh, so it's kind of like a caterpillar. It doesn't really, it has little bitty legs, but it probably couldn't walk very much. It's big, fat, It looks like a fat tick. Big, fat, yeah. and bloated. How every woman wants to be it's described. Like a, it's like a fat tick. Yeah. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. And so then there's a kind of a skin membrane. You like started really big and then your body just kind of went like this. It's kind of a leathery membrane that once you pierce it, the alcohol will explode. Plus a little bit of other stuff that's inside mm. there will explode out too. Um, but it mostly tastes like booze, right? Yeah, but then you start <laughs> really feeling the legs. You want some liquid? <laughs> you want some liquid death? How many, I don't know. How I got many legs some, uh, do you feel, Steve Trevino? It's... um. Does it have a lot of little legs? It's not terrible, but but if you don't like textures, uh -huh. you might have an issue. It doesn't taste well, it like neat. you said. It I tastes like, like booze. Yeah, try it out. Oh, we can't have too much dead air on the podcast. Yeah, you're ruining the show. Oh. Everyone's oh. clicking my videos now. You, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, you you you. I'm gonna get you a nice fat one. Well, you know what we were talking about last week? We were talking about you coming on the show, yeah. and we were like. Oh, Sonny's going to bring us something to eat. I was like, I hope he doesn't bring barbecue because you're a barbecue snob. Now I'm really wishing you had just brought barbecue, Sonny. <laughs> okay. You got this. Do I need to pin to my nose? No, no, no. No? no? Okay. I, I would put that over there, Sonny. <laughs> okay, but here, can I say something? You just put the trash This, is important. this is important because yeah. the purpose of my show is to spread awareness of other cultures, right? And yeah. so right now you're eating something that people would really eat and I'm enjoy acting ridiculous about having to eat your queen termite. And so just, can I tell you the tip that really helped me eat yes. food like this? Instead of resisting it, uh -huh. I accepted it. Uh -huh. And I told myself, I'm going to taste this as if I was a local. And I want to experience this as if I was a local. So right now you're a 55 year old Vietnamese guy in the Mekong Delta. <laughs> you're wearing, you're wearing sandals. You have a little bit of a hangover. Try it out. Okay. You did great. <laughs> I want to cry. Oh, you can, take you, a okay? sip. you can take a sip if you need no. to. No, actually. Uh, it's not bad. It's not bad. It's just once you said you felt the feet, then I felt the feet. Oh, yeah. I mean, you might have felt that head the too. Little, There's a weird that head yeah, the little on head. the front. Yep. That's probably and the crunchy part. The, and Ray the, doesn't the, like the, head, believe the, me. The, the, <laughs> believe me. I've made a career out of not having head. So. <laughs> oh yeah, it's boozy. But then there's something else inside that I don't. That's wanna, what it is. I don't so, want to know what it is. So the rice wine, I'm good with. The rice wine is a little sake-ish, mm. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the rice wine is is really good. Yeah, so yeah. that's cool. It is the it is the like it feels like a little dirt, like you're eating a little dirt there at the end. It so, literally is probably dirt mixed with alcohol. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a termite. So where would I find these? If I'm in Vietnam, I'm at a bar, is it like the pickled eggs to us? No, and, and oh. so that's something I try to explain in my videos is if something's actually commonly eaten or not. Because the last thing I want to do is spread this idea that like everybody in the country is just eating something like this right. or, or coconut worms or whatever. It is eaten. This is very regional. You're just going to find it in the South. It's just going to be a handful of people and it's going to be probably older men. And they're going to tell you that this has some health benefits. Uh -huh. And they're also going to tell you it's going to help your libido. Oh, you're getting laid tonight, honey. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Now, they never talk about the woman's libido for some reason. <laughs> right, right. 
I'm not sure why, but at least for the men, they always do one of these. So oh, oh, yeah, they always give you the, hey, you're going to be. So when, when it comes to finding these things in the beginning, I, I can't even imagine how you begin without a producer, you, a camera person. Mm. Where do you begin? Uh, just research online. Well, and so look, I'm not the first person to make a show like this. And right, there were course. trailblazers before me, Andrew Zimmern, uh, Anthony Bourdain. They made uh, fascinating travel shows and they documented a lot of unique food from around the world. And so whether it was watching stuff that they had done, um, looking at blogs, um, I mean, there was a handful of YouTubers doing stuff back then, but mostly just research and blogs. These days it's different. So back then I was alone. Now we work with, I mean, we have a big producing team. We have uh, five, six, six producers right now. And so they're contacting fixers. Uh, and a fixer is a, kind of like the local producer in, in a country that, you, that you're going to next. So in Mexico, we have a fixer. In Peru, we have a fixer. And so we'll combine our research online with their ideas locally. Things they might know, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And so we just, our biggest... Um, obstacle or challenge is trying to get them familiar with what we're going for. Like, what is our channel after? Cause they might go, Oh, there's a really nice tourist restaurant here with a great view uh, of the beach. It's like, no, no wrong, right. wrong. Yeah. So we need to get them quickly in line with what we're focused on. We want, yeah, we want stuff that's out there. That's feels authentic. That feels maybe a little gritty and, right, right. and uh, it just takes time to, to research and finally get it right. And sometimes we stumble upon stuff. I mean, I'm still surprised. To this day, I, we find stuff where I'm like, wow, this is really a thing. We were, let me tell you, we were just in India. In the northeastern part of India, there's a place called Nagaland. It's completely different from anything you know about Indian uh, people or cuisine. It's not the mainland. It's way in the northeast, almost bordering Myanmar. And so there, sorry, I'm drunk now from the, <laughs> <laughs> from the worm. Wasted. Got to catch my breath. And so there, they have a wasp nest. And I was like, huh, a wasp, or is it a hornet? Um, no, it's a hornet's nest. And so it's big and it's white. And I thought, okay, it looks interesting until she started taking the pods from the nest, the larva, ripping the cap off and taking out. Sometimes it was white larva that was half formed into a hornet. And then sometimes it was a hornet that started walking around, pulling it right out of the nest. And then from there, boom, into the hot oil, fry it, little dash of salt, eat it. And so I'm still, my mind is still blown by these things as I, I go around the world. I'm still finding things after all these years that I've never seen before. It's amazing. I'm curious. I mean, now, now I want to watch the videos that come out of Mexico. But if you fry Mexico anything. And, and you know what was, was really eye-opening? And, and I tell her all the time, and even though I am chubby, we, we really try very hard to eat clean and work hard and, and work out and do all that stuff. But mm -hmm. it's amazing to me. And I always tell her, I go, if you were to throw hot Cheetos outside, Animals won't eat them. Oh, yeah. Right. And I thought it was crazy when you handed that kid the Twizzler. Mm. And that kid looked at you like, what the fuck is this? And I don't like it. Yeah. Twizzlers are my favorite. Right. So to give context, we're in the Datoga village. They're eating raw liver dunked in raw blood. And the kid was enjoying that. I tried to give this kid who must have been maybe two years old a Twizzlers. And he's like, what's this crap? And all the women there who tried it were like, is this plastic? It tastes like plastic. Right. And I was like, you're not far off. It it's very close. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but that's what's incredible to me is that is, is, again, the evolution of what we are willing to eat here. Mm -hmm. Right? The, the idea that, hey, eat this almost plastic. 
Because mm-hmm. if you get real licorice from Australia versus a candy licorice, it's completely different. Food, but we're yeah. still putting that in our body. Yes, I think I think food here is more and more about just the pure dopamine hit. It's about having uh, enough sugar, carbs, and does it look pretty? Yeah, and the look, and it's even and the look doesn't have to be anything natural. And well, when you find out that they're they're spraying strawberries so that they look more like strawberries, no, they're they're making them more red because mm. here we want it to be pretty. Yeah, right. We want it to look good. Oh yeah, a lot of produce gets thrown out for just not making, looking good, looking a bit beat up. And I didn't get thrown out for looking a little, <laughs> right. a little bit beat yeah. up. Um, See, you've got some redeemable qualities. Well, some. That's <laughs> yeah. the word. Some. Um, what an episode. Uh, and then, Rick, I know I know, we probably cut you off. Do you have any more questions? Because I, I, I'm going crazy because I, I would like to have another hour, but we can't because I wanted to get into what are the traits that make somebody successful? Because you're extremely Ooh. successful. Yeah. So let's wrap it up with that, even though I probably should have wrapped it up. But, <laughs> so, because I, I admire people who become successful. Yeah. And, and as me and you are proof, it doesn't always mean a college degree. Mm-hmm. Not that having a college degree is not successful, but it doesn't always mean that. What are the traits that you believe have led to your success? Um, oh, gosh, it's tough. Uh, it's tough because I, I love this topic, I love talking about it. And then anytime you have to, answer something like this in 30 seconds uh-huh. then the answers end up being like be yourself try your best <laughs> right, right. don't give up right, right. don't give up right. it's like okay so every cat poster every <laughs> fucking yeah. right hang in there you know for me personally oh you know what okay here's something i don't hear people say all the time if you're at a place in life and you feel like this isn't me listen to that so i was at a place in my life many times where you know i wasted used to weigh 300 pounds i'm about two 21 this morning i checked i weigh myself every morning now because i have a routine that that i have to do in order to like kind of keep my weight the same because i used to have a big problem with it and when i was 300 pounds i wasn't like this is me body positivity i was like no this isn't me when i was broke i was like this isn't me uh when i when i was in in a myriad of uh, different difficult situations i knew this wasn't me and so i i kept moving forward bit by bit until slowly the circumstances of my life changed. Um, so I would say, first of all, <clears throat> I love that though, because even that voice. The, the mantra of that keeps you from being, from feeling stuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, don't, to me, that's just accepting defeat. It's being complacent. It's just being okay with where you are for some people. That's fine. Uh, and not everybody needs to be like insane type a entrepreneur. Plenty of people have like a normal job. They enjoy their job. They have a family. I love that. And that's fine too. And I have friends There's like that. There's something beautiful about You've that. you talked about yes. that with your dad. Well, my, my dad, you know, he'll tell you. I loved going to work. I loved knowing exactly how much money I was going to make. And I loved clocking the fuck out. Mm-hmm. And yeah. enjoying my weekend. There's, that's admirable too. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And then I guess the other thing was, maybe if I was, my advice to someone in their 20s would be, find a skill. Uh, find something you're passionate about and do your best to get world-class at it. I, I personally, I can't understand why you would ever join any type of industry or career path and not put in that like extra 20% to become world-class at it. Um, so that's something I struggled with a lot in my younger twenties. Cause once you have a skill, you have something developed, it can become part of your identity. Um, especially somebody, you know, my three older siblings were, um, one had, uh, a bachelor's and I forgot what my sister, 
one got a PhD, one got a law degree, and I'm, I failed out of school three times at this point, and I'm not where I am now. I felt like a fucking loser. Sure. But I, I took the skill of filmmaking and I focused on that. And I really broke it down. I listened to this book called Genius is Overrated, something like that. Talent is Overrated, I think. And they talked about you know the 10,000 hour rule. We, I think we've all heard of these different types sure. of concepts if, if you're into self-help. And the idea is you need to focus on uh, deliberate practice, like practice that goes right against your limit of comfort for 10,000 hours to become a master in your field. And so I set up in my life, like, okay, I'm going to start making films, even if they're stock films or uh, sorry, spec films uh, for, for companies or, or free music videos. Um, I, I made a workshop when I lived in Korea, I called the soul filmmakers workshop where people could come watch my content and just tear it apart. Tell me what sucks about this. Right. That's what I want to know. Um, I mean, even podcasting is a skill too. Sure. It's something I want to improve at. Here I am. Learning, right. I'm, I'm learning. I'm, I'm working with you guys. I'm, I'm going to different podcasts to see how, how can I refine it? How can I get better? And so finding a skill and finding how you can incrementally um, improve that skill over time and, and just putting your all into it will, will definitely lead to good things. And I guess my last random tip, I'm just trying to think of what's not the typical advice, is there's a lot of creative people out there. I'm sure as, um, as a comedian, you have a lot of creative right. people who listen to this. I think too many creative people focus 100% on the creative aspect and they need to focus at least 10% on how negotiation and business work. Um, it's not everyone's favorite thing. And you know what I hate seeing? I hate seeing these posters that are like, hey, stop trying to pay me with uh, exposure I'm, or I'm in a band. Don't pay right. me with exposure. And they complain about it and they're like, yeah, don't ask someone to come play at your restaurant for exposure. And it's like, how about you learn to advocate for yourself? How about you learn how to negotiate? Because you're not going to control the restaurant owner, the club owner, and how or are anyone you, else. How are you creating value to that club owner, to that restaurant? Right. right. So if I go to a restaurant and go, hey, man, I've been playing here for three months. I need to get paid. I also need to go to them and go, this is why I need to get paid. Yes. Because when I started, nobody was coming to your restaurant. And now every Tuesday that I'm here, you now have a full restaurant. So I now need to get paid. The problem is that they don't create any value and they want to get paid. Yes. That's the hard part. So I, I think that's huge too. Um, yes, understanding how to actually create value and then demonstrate that value and then just be able to advocate yourself and, and for yourself and negotiate. It's such an, an important undervalued skill that we always talk about creativity and expression, but sometimes you just got to figure out how to write a freaking contract um, or, or just sit down with someone one-on-one -on -one and have a difficult negotiation right. and, and fight for yourself and, and what you need. Well, I was, I mean, my favorite thing that you said in, in all of that was that, that made me kind of have a light bulb is, is push yourself to past the comfort zone. You know, I, I get so fresh with these comics, they're middle acts, they're the middle act and they've written this 30 minutes and they go, man, I kill. Mm. And then I see them two years later, they're doing the same 30 minutes. Right. How come I'm not the headliner? Cause you're doing the same shit. You know? And one of the things I did, I was so good at getting laughs physically. Mm -hmm. I could walk on stage and throw my body around and, and be the chubby guy and, and get laughs. But then I realized that, well, nobody's talking about me after. Mm -hmm. People will go, hey, we saw that guy, Steve Trevino. They go, oh, was he funny? Man, I laughed. What did he talk about? I, you know, I don't know, man, but he, he made me laugh. Right. So then I challenged myself to go, 
Now I'm not going to be physical. I'm going to stand straight. I'm going to deliver the mm. words. And now I need to make sure that the words are making them laugh. Yeah. I mean, then I'll marry both. I love and stand then I'm unstoppable. Right. I, I love stand up comedy. And, and my favorite specials I watch are the ones that have some kind of a theme or just like a, a greater point that they're making about the world or about people, or about society where you walk away with like, that was really funny. And it made me think a little bit too. Like, um, yeah, Bill Burr, Bill Dave Chappelle, great, yeah. they both, you know, it's like, if you look, you could break down little bits, but then when you put it all together, it's like, oh, they actually really said something there too. And that's always my goal. I always tell, tell Renee that I always, I write from heart, not funny. Mm. You know, I write funny stuff all the time or, I'm, or we make each other laugh or I'll say something really funny to her. If it doesn't have heart, then I'm not going to bring it on stage. Yeah. Because I want the audience to walk away going, not only was it funny, man, it had heart. Yeah. Man, it made me think about my wife. Man, it made me think about my dad. It made, you know, so again, challenging yourself. I love what you said. Challenging yourself outside of the realm of what you're good at to really become a master. Yeah. To really become great. You know, yeah, and I, I always use Shaquille O'Neal. Hmm. I'm like, mother, why are you practicing dunks? Right. Maybe you need to spend hours practicing your free throw. Free throw. You fucking suck. Right. I, and I wouldn't know what to suggest to the middle act because if it's two years later and they're doing the same thing and they're okay with it, there's nothing you can do. But if you talk to them and they're not happy about it, then maybe there's that thing. There's that thing inside where they're unsettled. They know this isn't me, but they don't have the tools. That's a possibility. Right. But, you know, not everybody, um, not everybody wants to move forward. Well, no, I, and I don't disagree with that. And, and, and that's one of the reasons that, that I left Los Angeles is because in order for me to write, I have to live. Mm-hmm. And a lot of comedians, they don't live at all. They wake up, they go to the comedy store, they go home. They wake up, they go to the comedy store, they go home. And it's like, well, how are you, where are you drawing from? Yeah. Every day, your whole life is right there. Well, I mean... You could be like Tom Segura and just like watch TV and then explain the comedy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, explain explain the TV show. Hold on, uh, I love Tom Segura. Tom, Tom has a I, gift. I adore Tom <laughs> Segura. But I remember watching. He was talking. It was like kid, the kids were had to be um, they were brought to a jail. Kids scared kids scared straight. Something like oh, that. Oh yeah, yeah. And ten minutes into his bit, I'm like, did he just watch a show and he's explaining the show he's in a funny show, way? And I'm laughing. Yeah, I'm like, this is brilliant. And but no one does it better than him but that's what makes him brilliant right is the ability and i always say that you know one of the the big jokes that has gone viral for us is is that i'm the trash man she's the bag lady okay right (laughs) and and literally me walking on stage going she won't fucking take out the trash Mm -hmm. so fuck her i'm not putting the bag Ah. and then people went nuts because they were like that's our house all the couples they're like he's the trash man i'm the bag lady so it, it from a really simple thing turned into something really cool, that, uh, an observation that most people don't make that observation of, I'm the trash man, she's the bag lady, mm-hmm. right? So, and then the first one for me, to turn this interview into about me, <laughs> yeah, um, let's go. well, the first one for me was, I was super frustrated when we first started living together that she would squeeze the toothpaste from the middle, <laughs> right? It would fucking oh drive me nuts. God. So I walk on stage and I go, what kind of fucking animal squeezes the toothpaste from the middle I was pissed mm-hmm. and everybody started laughing and pointing. Yeah. And that was that moment of like, Oh, there's something to, 
this simple thing that I'm fucking annoyed by right. that people relate to. Yeah, and we everybody who's married has those. <laughs> right. Yeah, and it, it sounds like you've just tapped into some of the right ones that people right. really connect with. So it, it really is, I'm, I'm glad you said the things you said because on this podcast, we're always talking about working hard and how to succeed, and, and I don't think anybody's ever put it yeah. quite like that. Oh, well, thank you. Oh, that was awesome. Sonny, thanks for coming, man. Guys, uh, you want to subscribe? Your is uh, cocaine, cocaine for your for your brain. Dig, digital, it, cocaine. Dig, digital cocaine. Yeah, yeah. That's all they're gonna edit. The fucking best, Rick's no, gonna no, put. The best ever food review. No, the best ever food review show. That's right. I said it right. Yep. Uh, guys, I got it. I, I'm I'm telling you, absolutely amazing to watch. It's beautiful to watch. It is educational at the same time. It is funny at the same time. I have it to is, say, after eating this, I am even more impressed by what you do oh. and your sincere, not just like <laughs> tasting ugly things, but like your sincerity about it and your connection with the people through. And by the way, things. the okay, crazy yeah. part for her, so she walks in this morning and she goes, Garrett watched that episode. Mm -hmm. My son watches your show. Oh, really? There was an episode he saw, yeah. Yeah, yeah. With the indigenous uh, uh, tribe. Yeah. And Renee was like, oh my God, Garrett watches that show. Hmm. Guys, I'm telling you right now, it'll fuck up your week. <laughs> like, it really. Because you won't stop watching. You won't stop watching. Watch. Okay, good. You will you'll literally, you're, you're going you're gonna to watch one and then you're going to go, and then with fucking YouTube, it just goes, here's the next one. So you don't even know you're watching another episode. But it, it really consumes you because it is beautiful to watch, it's interesting. You learn stuff. It's it's fun. It, it, guys, subscribe. Oh, it we're is on and on. Oh, we got to thank our sponsors. Oh, thank uh, you. Yes, Old thank Salt so Coffee. Much. Thank you for the coffee that, that you, for everybody. Aztec Chevrolet, uh, Pick Cherries. We're going to have to get Sunny on Pick Cherries. Oh, we're going to have to tell you about yeah. Pick Cherries and how it works. It's a digital podcast sharing app. Okay. Where you can pick a cherry. Oh, okay. We yes. said something that they liked. They can hit a button, take that, uh, and then share it. Oh, I like it. It's pretty genius. Mm -hmm. So... Thank you guys so much for joining us. And again, as always, you look beautiful. Oh, I love thank you. you. Sonny, thank, thank you, you Sonny. so very much thank for you. coming, my friend. Uh, and my absolute pleasure. I'm glad I could be here. Man, thank I you. am so flattered you came. Really, I mean, I, again, I was walking around the house going, why us? Why? why? I, I'm very insecure. So uh, th <laughs> thank you. Thank you for coming. It goes back to knowing your worth, which you're trying to teach me. Thank you, guys. We'll see you next time. Thank you, Rick. <laughs>